at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Trying News is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. We did it. We did it. Um, I mean, obviously not as strong as past Louisville teams, but I think a lot of us have been saying for weeks now, like in this late stretch, there was no way SU was going to pull an upset, and lo and behold, here we are. Nice win over a nationally ranked Louisville team that really needed to kind of bounce back. And now something looks like they themselves are on some shaky ground. Not that they're not going to make the tournament, but um, I think their hopes as a, as a, you know, one through four seed um, are, are definitely dwindling at, at the moment. But plenty of time to play their way back in. For sure. It's it's not a great Louisville team. It's a, a worse Louisville team without Chris Jones. But it's still a team that has two all-ACC-type players, uh, one of which, Montrezl Harrell, was, you know, if you pulled most college basketball fans, you'd probably say he's one of the best big men in the country. And uh, Rakeem Chris has dominated him, <laughs> like totally dominated him, which was really awesome. Um, and I think for a couple of weeks now, it's like Syracuse has been close in every game. They've been playing very tough against teams that are pretty good, Duke, UNC, Pitt. Uh, obviously, it's not as the other two, but um, it just they, Syracuse hasn't been able, to, been able to get over the hump. And today was very validating for those of us who believe that this team is a pretty solid team with just some major depth issues. Uh, it, it proved that that SU, while it's not a great year by our standards, it's still a team that is dangerous that could compete in the ACC this year if and could have, you know, potentially made some noise had, I don't know, it was a very gratifying win, I think. Right. And and interestingly, I know that uh, over on Syracuse.com, uh, Donna DeToto put together that uh, that article on Syracuse kind of fading in the second half um, the other day, and, and to see the exact opposite thing happen here um, was very, very welcome. Obviously, when Rack hits free throws, and he's going to get that sort of uh, – you know, dribble penetration that he did, um, it definitely helps. And having, you know, more than a couple players, um, you know, being effective. I mean, between him and Benajay and Roberson, usually if those three can put in a good game or if you want to sub in Cooney with one of them, um, as you stand a chance against just about anybody. Um, and, again, it was just great to see this team for once 
all season, kind of close out. I mean, I haven't I haven't felt as good about a close um, this season since probably. I mean, Virginia Tech was a comeback, not a close. I'd say Wake Forest um, was probably your your best uh, comparison in, in terms of you know closing out a, a win that was that, that it should have happened in my book. Yeah, not only did we get to games from those three, uh, Cooney obviously didn't play well, but uh, I thought Caleb made some really nice plays down the stretch. He had that nice little uh, that little turnaround jumper in the lane, which uh, kind of I think put a few up six or so, sending the lead out. And then he had a did he have did he have a steal on the inbound pass uh, pretty soon after that too? Yeah, I believe so. So he played, you know, not not crazy numbers or anything, but he played. You know, pretty big down the stretch when he's often been off the court. And then I thought Ron Patterson was all over the place in the first half on defense. Obviously, he is what he is offensively. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if you saw uh, Beheim's post-game uh, commentary, uh, starting with Joseph saying, the quote was, it was a typical Beheim quote, obviously. What? <laughs> Bayheim on Caleb Joseph shooting threes. There's no logical explanation for it other than you want to lose the game. <laughs> his only Jim can put, um, you know, his his aggravation with certain players taking certain shots. And uh, just watch Julia Loca for definitely twist his ankle or something even worse. I don't know if you're also watching the Duke North Carolina game then. Yeah, sorry. sorry uh, I dropped. Yeah, um, I called in before I actually got to my apartment, so when I put the elevator up, uh, I thought I'd be okay to hang on, but uh, I got cut off like, right at those <laughs> end of my sentence, I guess. Ah, no worries. What was the last yeah. thing you heard? <laughs> uh, I was just, as I got cut off, I was talking about how I thought Ron Patterson played with a pretty good effort tonight. Oh. Well, then I had just mentioned uh, Beheim's quote, uh, kind of. Blasting Caleb for taking a three, uh, and then mentioned Delia Locafor's injury as I'm watching it in real time here on ESPN. Yeah, I'm just turning that on now. Uh, I, I watched the end of the, uh, the game and then got home about as quickly as possible, so I'm just kind of getting uh, caught up with the rest of the basketball world here. Well, this is your typical North Carolina Duke game. Uh, oh, Okafor is coming back to the floor. So, for those who are Knicks fans like me and are hoping to draft Okafor first overall, um, this definitely helps. Yeah, he's anyway. uh, You don't want to see guys like that get hurt, even if it's Duke. You want to see them go down in natural ways like last year in the NCAA tournament, not when they have a major injury. Yeah, I mean, it's odd, too, with Duke, is that I feel like I should hate them more now that we're in the same conference, and instead I hate them less, and I don't really get it. Is it just a respect thing, or is it or is it something more? Is it that, that conference collectivism that, that all of us kind of got driven towards during conference realignment? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think a lot of it, I, I kind of feel the same way. Like, I don't root for Duke. Uh, I don't really know who I want to win this game, but... Um, 
I wouldn't say I actively root for them or anything, and I, I did thoroughly enjoy the NCAA tournament loss last year. But uh, I feel like Beheim and Hayes' relationship kind of makes it hard to, like, totally hate them. Fair. Especially when we're in kind of a position where Syracuse can use high-profile, like, people defending them uh, in terms of NCAA stuff and, and just the way the game plays this year. And Kay is almost always up up for that for Bayhawk, which is nice. So that that makes it hard to like totally dislike them compared to well, like I'll never feel that way about Syracuse or maybe not Georgetown or UConn or some of those other teams where we have a long standing rivalry. True. And I mean you never know. If ten, fifteen years down the line if Phil hasn't played UConn again and and us and Duke are battling it out for conference championships, and maybe things change. I mean, but for now, yeah, I think Duke serves serves a very good purpose as as a bridge. Um, but there's definitely much more to come in terms of our history with that team and what happens next. Um, and especially with Georgetown back on the schedule and, and Louisville back after a one-year hiatus, um, it should be interesting. And I know that the rivalry. What was that, then? I said the, those games, you know, back on the schedule, and then UConn's out there taking random pot shots on Twitter. Yeah, you know what? Like, other than uh, other than no escalators, I, there there are no UConn fans that I really tolerate uh, on Twitter, just because everything that they that they say and do, and it, it's it's become there are now two teams on top of Syracuse fans that cover Syracuse ad nauseum. Um, and, and UConn has kind of joined the ranks of, of, uh, of Georgetown fans in that regard. It's a bit amazing because you'd think that a team with four national championships um, would not have little brother syndrome to a team that has won, but they totally do. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that is an odd dynamic. Um, and I think I think part of it is birthed from us having Big Brother syndrome despite having one championship. Oh yeah, it's definitely a two way street, but I don't know. It's just it's a weird dynamic. I do kind of miss having them on on the schedule, but I, I also as a as a proud Connecticut hunter myself, I wouldn't mind if uh they fell off the face of the earth uh, in terms of the basketball program. So I, I don't know if we need to lend them any relevancy as they go on with their Tulsa's and their Houston's and their East Carolina's. <laughs> or as it will now be referred, the Rump League. If, <laughs> for those who missed that whole conversation that the New York Times referred to the American Athletic Association. Uh, American Athletic Conference as a Rump League, um, and I have heretofore been referring to the league as such. Um, so if you want to hear what's going on in the Rump League on a weekly basis, Follow the Rump League hashtag on Twitter. Good times for has. Oh, yeah. So, I, I guess looking forward a little bit, um, you know, because I, I think we – I think the, the Louisville game, because it was a win, there isn't a ton to, to, to dig into and rehash. It's really just, just the simple things that we had pointed out before. Um do you think this sets the stage for maybe not a win streak, but at least a very strong and confident team um, going into the pit game, which would be uh, kind of their third straight home game? 
Yeah, I, I think, well, A, A, this team should know that it can beat Pitt. Um, obviously, it was in it very late at the peak, which is a tough place to play for anyone, as we saw with North Carolina uh, this weekend. So, it's, the, the team should know that it can beat Pitt. Um, Louisville is another one of the teams that they have. We have kind of a long-standing history with her, longish-standing, as far back as, like, the original Batista Bassingos. That used to give Syracuse a lot of trouble, and as you beat them by 10. So if they can do that, and, and this Louisville team is ranked 12 uh, right now at least, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to go get split the two-game series with Pitt. Um, and if they do that, then then maybe hitting that 20-win that plateau that uh, Beheim does so often becomes fairly manageable. They just have to win uh, two of the last four. Um, and obviously three of those games are just ranked teams, but, you know, it no longer becomes something that looks impossible. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's funny. I thought if we lost this game, I, I wouldn't even entertain the idea. But uh, right now, I, I kind of have to side with you. 20 wins if we beat Pitt especially. Um, definitely looks like it's doable. I mean, it's not – I don't I still don't think it's probable. If only no, because no. – uh, Instead of being something that's like a big stretch – um, you know, you have to win one of the three ranked games and beat NC State at NC State, which isn't easy. I think NC State's a, a pretty good team when they're when they're on their game. But it no longer like if, if they had lost to Louisville tonight, I, I don't think there'd be much of a shot. But I think that this win could help galvanize the team and uh, galvanize the team. Galvanize, I don't think a word. Um, and they kind of believe in themselves because I'm sure they were there was some some doubt lingering there. There. And yeah, I definitely see that. Um, I mean, I, I think here, I mean, the Duke game obviously looms the largest, and I, I don't buy the talk about um, about us and, and Duke potentially uh, being the game day game um, on February 28th. I just think that seems pretty far fetched, um, especially compared to you know the Arizona Utah game that's the same night. But um, I, I think Notre Dame, um, not that they're bad, I, I think that there's just a, there's something about them that, you know, you and I and, and various others will never trust. Um, I think UVA, we discussed too, like I'm, I'll entertain the idea of UVA, you know, being a team, but I, I'm still a little skeptical and I think that we play the type of game that that can really not not beat them, but the type of game that you know both teams will look a little evenly matched throughout. Um, and then, yeah, you know, state just one of those games where uh, things can happen um, on in, on both sides. I think state is going to be uh, going to be well entrenched um, in the tournament at this point. But uh, that said, um, you know. If SU is looking for win number twenty, I, I could definitely see this team playing for for some pride and, and beating the Wolfpack down there. Especially when, and I don't know why, I just feel like things get a little chippy with with the fan base and 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 with uh, with that team. And, and no matter what the sport, for some reason, despite very little history other than you know a few quips before uh, before Syracuse joined the ACC. Yeah, I kind of agree. And and going back to UVA. Um, I still we talked about them last week uh, at length a bit. 
Uh, I still think they're very good. Uh, I do think that they're vulnerable um, because right now they're not fully healthy and their offense is kind of a mess. And that doesn't, you know, their defense is still really good. And if we don't get big games out of Benege and or Cooney, uh, beating that pass line is going to be difficult. But um, I could see us pulling an upset there. I wouldn't bet on it, but if uh, they're still, uh, un, you know, not at full strength, it's, uh, I don't know. I could see that happening. I could see any of these games being a win. At Cameron's probably the, the issue proposition, but. If a team plays like it did tonight and uh, does it down the stretch, it's, um, you know, not the craziest thing in the world. Spot on. Um, yeah, I guess looking around basketball, what uh, what else are you kind of noticing? I think later on we can kind of jump into some of our typical tournament talk, but what are some things you've noticed over the last week? What are some things, especially in the ACC, that, that you're seeing um, before the tournament, is there a team? I mean, obviously Duke and Notre Dame and Virginia have done a very good job of separating themselves uh, throughout the season. But what do you think, um, you know, within the last couple of weeks, spoiled down to, and, and which of those teams do you think is able to, to come out of the ACC, both in the regular season uh, and then in the tournament, which is really when it matters the most in this conference? Um, I don't know. It, it, this is, it's a tough one for me because I feel like in college basketball as a whole, I feel like there's there's no team that isn't flawed. And even Kentucky, uh, I wouldn't be shocked if they end up running the table in the regular season and then drop in the 3-16 just because that offense is really not very dominant. The defense is so good. But if a team gets hot from outside, I could see them falling. But uh, ACC-wise, I mean, out of the regular the, the main players here, uh, Duke has defense issues. Uh, they've lost some weird games. Um UNC is inconsistent. Uh, Notre Dame is Notre Dame, and the NCAA tournament is still the same event. Um, so I, I don't think any of these teams are slam dunk. Uh, I don't love Louisville um, offensively and for a lot of reasons. And, and I think Patina before the game cast them down on Jones coming back, which would be a big shock to them. So I, I'd probably say Duke just because they have, uh, they have the, the, the pedigree would probably be the team I have the most faith in um, and because they can outscore pretty much anyone. Uh, I don't know. It, it's it's all about matchups, I think, and it'll be really interesting to see where these teams fall in terms of the, the bracket because I don't think there are any ACC teams that are slam dunks to make a run to the Final Four, but I don't I don't think there are any, uh, you know, automatic cards either. It's, it's a really, I don't know, it's, it's a very interesting year in terms of college basketball in total and, um Obviously, Kentucky is the one dominant team in the country, but even then, like, I don't think there are any teams nationwide that make me think that, you know, there's no chance they get bounced out early. That's fair. And I, I think, you know, we touched on that last week, too. Like, even even a team like Kentucky, um, I was on some call today at work. Everyone seemed to be on the on the Kentucky bandwagon in terms of, you know, penciling their place into the Final Four, and I was just very... I was very surprised, considering the teams that we've seen in the regular season, ourselves included, in recent years, uh, kind of running roughshod over a schedule. Uh, it, it's, it is shocking to see everyone, you know, completely and utterly buying in when when this squad does have some issues, has had some close calls against some not that great teams. 
Uh, I mean, I'm not casting doubt. I think Kentucky will be there. Um, but, but like you said, there, there are no locks this year. And I think in the ACC especially, there aren't any locks to to really um, take this tournament championship. I think that that top three I mentioned are, are the most likely ones. But um, at the same time, there's just too much that can happen in a very short four-day uh, four tournament. Uh, crazy things have uh, occurred, as we've noticed, as other teams have noticed. Um, I mean, even in the ACC, the last few years have been chalk and regularly is chalk in this conference. But at the same time, like a team like NC State, um, or I think a few years back Maryland did it too, just kind of caught fire as one of the lower seeds and was able to get um, enough wins in that tournament to get themselves into the, the big dance. So I, I think if I was if I was going to bet on it, um, I'd probably go with Duke so long as Okafor is healthy. Um, but, you know, I, that, that said, again, the other two really wouldn't shock me in the least. Yeah, and we do have to see what Virginia looks like once they get Anderson back. Um, obviously, they've been... You know, they beat Pitt pretty handily uh, a couple nights ago, but Wake Forest probably should have beat them. NC State and Louisville both, you know, came within five uh, the week before. So it hasn't been easy sledding since uh, since that Duke loss, but their defense is really good. And I don't think a lot of teams – I don't think any team in the country defends like they do. But, you know, it's a little tournament, any, as we've all seen time and time again. Literally anything can happen. Um and one guy gets hot and can send a great team home, and that's why, you know, both UVA and Kentucky are kind of similar profile teams. Kentucky is way more athletic in their their different styles, but they both dominate on defense. But if you know a guy go crazy from outside, you know, Kentucky could easily have five losses right now, just in, in, and against a not a great SEC. So it's uh, that's what makes the tournament great. Though. That's why we all love it. Agreed. All right. Uh... It's a good place for at least some halftime here. Um, why don't we swing it to some beer? Uh, what have you been drinking lately, Dan? Uh, during the game, I was actually – I watched the second half at a bar uh, over in Hoboken where I work. Uh, I have to find the name. I, I tried uh, Brooklyn's uh, Dry Iris Stout, which uh, I don't usually drink stouts generally. I mean, I'll try them once in a while, but they're not really my my favorite type of beer, but this was really good. It was um, really, uh, you know, it wasn't overly heavy or it, it didn't, like, linger too long. Uh, really nice um, finish, uh, good, good solid flavor. So, you know, sometimes stats I feel like are, are a little, they're, they're a little too heavy-handed in terms of, you know, the, the, the aftertaste and whatnot. This one was, was really nice. Uh, not crazy ABV, only 4.7. Um, but just a good solid drink and, and definitely something I'd, I'd have again. Uh, let me see what else I've had since, oh, I was in Charlotte over the weekend. So I got to try uh, or, you know, have some Southern type stuff. I had, uh, Red Oaks Amber, which is just a really solid, uh, Vienna lager. Um, nothing too crazy, but Red Oak, uh, had a couple things down there. Very solid brewery. And then not a North Carolina brew, uh, beer, but, Something you can't find up here too often. I had um, uh, Sweetwater's 420 Extra Pale, which I've had before. Um, just a really nice uh, pale ale, pretty hobby, but full, full, uh, really good citrus flavor. Um, 
and a nice hot finish. So I always like that one when I get down to uh, the Carolinas or Georgia. Nice. Uh, on this end, um, a lot of people have probably seen me six packs around, but uh, Sierra Nevada's uh, Beer Camp Hoppy Lager. Very, very good stuff. I might actually go buy a 12-air after this just because most of the time I have all these trade acquisitions, all this other crap sitting around the fridge, and I never really want to share with anybody <laughs> when they come over. So having something like that is always good. Um, and, again, really, really crisp, really enjoyable uh, IPL style. Um, we don't really get Brooklyn Brewery here at all in California, but I was in Vegas over the weekend, and they had a Brooklyn Blast on tap. Uh, so got to enjoy some of that, um, as well as some Tahoe Mountain Brewing um, Hop Song IPA while I was watching uh, Syracuse Blues to Duke in the sports books and tearing up my $20 ticket. Would have been nice, though, but these things happen. Um, Also got to enjoy uh, Hardywood Park, uh, bourbon gingerbread stout. Uh, Really, really nice. Uh, I feel like the bourbon was definitely there, but it wasn't as heavy-handed as, say, some of the other um, bourbon barrel-aid stuff that I've I've drank. So it's not really an easy one to to procure, but it's, it's definitely one you should check out if you can find it. Um, and then I also had the brewery's new uh, Belgian Pale Ale, uh, Jardinier, uh, just French for uh, gardener. You know, they're, uh, they're a fancy pants brewery. So uh, I don't know where this one ends up on shelves uh, back east, if at all. But, um, again, the mildest thing you're, you're going to drink from the brewery, but still uh, still plenty of flavor. Just a nice departure from their typical $15 a bottle, 9%. Uh, like Belgian strong ales, and it was more in the 5.99 and uh, and 4.9 percent range. Yeah, the couple of these somebody from there, uh, really good. I I I don't know if I've seen anything from them out here, so I think it's pretty uh, pretty hard to do your hands on uh, otherwise. Yeah, I think they. I know that they don't really get down in uh in the city much but i think they're upstate hmm. yeah because i know I've, I've talked to some people that they get the brewery stuff up there but you know if you're ever looking for anything I'm happy to provide because i do really really enjoy their stuff uh pretty much top to bottom and despite a very crowded tasting room i'll, I'll definitely be in there at least once a quarter Yeah, that's good stuff. I have to tip back down to Brooklyn Brewery. I was there like one of the, the, I think the weekend before I moved to the city or, or that first weekend, and uh, that was a really, really good spot. I also want to check out some of the other. Um, I know Bronx Brewing is starting to to gain a pretty decent foothold, so I was just over to them and and check out some of the other ones around here. Yeah, I know. Um, I know Grimm is in Brooklyn, as is um, the other room. Mm-hmm. Have you been there? I know uh, Aaron Goldfarb sent me some uh, some growlers from there last year. Nice, yeah, I'll very very enjoyable. So yeah, that leads to uh, I mean, it's not really a segue, but football. Figured uh, figured why not? We got a uh, we got spring practice starting uh, actually a week from right now. Um, 
So, Dan, I guess what are some big storylines? We're going to go through a lot more of these on, on the site kind of week by week as we go, it's previewing spring practice as well as through spring practice. But what are your big uh, big focuses? Uh, and, yes, I, I know the word supposed to be foci. Um, what are the big things that you want to want to hone in on, I guess, uh, going into spring practice? Uh, well, the obvious one is figuring out what the Tim Lester offense is. Um, obviously, there's, a, there's you know, people can tell you what they envision for their offense all the time. When Doug Marone took the job, he said how he wanted to run like a billion plays and be up tempo, and then we weren't that um, very much of at all of his tenure. But uh, so Lester, you know, we hear about the, the twelve the twelve packages and uh, and you know how he wants to get back to more power running, but it's hard to really envision what a new offense is until you actually see it on the field. Um, so that's like the big overarching question, uh, and. Hopefully we get some decent insight from the spring. Obviously, I don't think practice will be open, but hopefully the the Syracuse.com guys can can get us some good insight on that. Um, more specifically, uh, I'm very worried about the left tackle position. Um, over the last couple of years, we've been kind of spoiled in having two uh, legit NFL guys. Obviously, Justin Pugh was a first round pick. Sean Hickey probably won't be a, as high, but you know he could be. Depending on how well he does in the combine, which he it should be, he should do really well considering what we've heard from his uh, weight room acumen before. Um, we'll probably be a mid round pick right after Pew, so uh, we don't have that kind of uh, heir apparent there. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little concerned about that, especially with you know very big questions at quarterback. Obviously, it sounds like Terrell Hunt's going to have the job, but he didn't exactly let the world on fire last year. Uh, and then on the defense, um, you know, there's some pretty big holes. Uh, linebacker lost Cam Lynch, lost Dyshawn. We have no drill after in the, in, uh, in the secondary. Defensive line still young. We don't have a breakout uh, pass rusher, although there's some talent there with Ron Hobson and a few other guys. So uh, I'm not as any as worried about the defense just because Schaefer has put together and, and even and Bullet too have put together such good defense as well. They've both been here. Um, but offensively, obviously, is where the concern is. Uh, as anyone who watched the team last year can tell you. And it'll be uh, really interesting to see how the team morphs from last season because it really can't get much worse. Yeah, that's uh, that's something I think a lot of us can attest to, me in particular, someone who decided to relive the nightmare every Monday night. Um, you, the person who watched 24 Syracuse games last year. <laughs> and honestly, I wish it could have been 26, but <laughs> these things happen. Um, yeah, I think you you definitely hit on the, the one thing that really, well, two things, but the major thing that, that I, I need an answer on early, and I just don't, I don't need just coach speak either, is somebody's got to tell me, and not just tell me, but show me what this offense is going to look like Um I had some major issues with, with the offense, obviously, last year, as with everybody else. It was a deplorable group that couldn't execute in the red zone, uh, couldn't really get the ball into the end zone in general, um, and never really understood its identity. And I think that was uh, its biggest issue, is that it was kind of flailing around in the dark, uh, trying to grasp what it wanted to be, but, but never really established it. Um, so while myself and many others uh, might not have been, you know, in favor of, of Lester keeping the offensive coordinator job after what was a really uh, kind of 
disgusting second half um, of the season, just when you thought the first half uh, couldn't have gone anywhere in terms of uh, the offense. Um, it did. So so I think that, you know, giving him an entire off season, allowing us to see what happens when he has full prep and his, you know, quote unquote, his system is, is in, um, I, I need to see things on the field. And I hope that, that this year we see, um, you know, a, a lot more of, of what's actually going to happen even in the spring game than, than we did last year when everyone was, was talking a lot about 80 plays a game and all we saw was bubble screens. I mean, I get you don't want to give away the secret sauce um, in spring for the opposition, but I think at the same time, given the position that uh, this team's in, you know, coming off a 3-9 and nine season uh, with the coaching staff really on the hot seat, I think you need to show us at least something. It doesn't need to be the script, but it needs to be at least the the, the outline, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it's difficult because I, I totally get not wanting to give any kind of information, but you're not, you know, a team's never going to totally down what uh, another team does with just spring game film or whatever they read on the internet. And this fan base really could use something to grasp onto. And, you know, there's only so much you can do with the spring game, but at least having an exciting showing and, and having some points on the board and plays that are interesting and, and seem to have some kind of cohesion could, and go at least some, a, a little way in terms of uh, getting people excited throughout the summer. Uh, and we, the spring game really hasn't been utilized to uh, the team's advantage in a couple of years, I, I feel like. So while, you know, you don't want to put yourself at a competitive disadvantage, we're, we're opening. I believe we opened the game with uh, with, an FBS, with the FBS team, right? Like we have a pretty solid first two weeks. We have um, we're we playing at Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. So we have Rhode Island and Wake to start. You know, those two teams shouldn't be ones that you're overly worried about uh, self sabotage in terms of showing too much of the spring game. And then after those two games are over. You know, everyone else is going to have film on you anyway. You're not Syracuse isn't keeping things in the uh, locked away in the closet and waiting to uh, unleash them on LSU. Like the team, you know, Buck Miles is going to know what the team looks like and what he needs to, to worry about. So do what you can to, to get people jazzed up for this season because there's not a lot of a uh, recent uh, success from 2014 that's going to do it. Yeah, I. I... Again, I, I think you brought up something that I hadn't really even, um, I guess, brought up myself, which was, yeah, th- this team hasn't really used the spring game uh, correctly. And, and I, don't, I don't know that there's, there's ever a, a hard and fast, you know, set of rules around, you know, how to use the spring game correctly. I think it really depends on the situation your team's in, with your personnel and your fan base. And I think, you know, th- this is one of those situations where you, you need to, pull out all the stops and really show people something new and something different, um, especially when we're, we've seen kind of two years of diminishing returns on the offensive end. Um, you know, last year, uh, offensive line was already kind of dinged up in spring, so we didn't really get to see that group, and it was actually a harbinger for things to come, sadly. Uh, this year, uh, you know, I don't want to, I want to, you know, really kill, kill these guys in, uh, in spring, especially on the offensive line where we're going to be breaking in a lot of new faces. But that said, I think we need to see some capabilities. Um, and, and most importantly to me, a, a real recommitment to the running game, um, especially given the backs that we have on the roster. Um, I mean, th- this 
even without Irv Phillips uh, lining up, um, you know, at the halfback position, I, I think that's going to be an interesting fold, at least to see how him and, and Grizzly and Ashton Broyles will get along in the slot um, when you could argue that opportunities for the three of them and Steve Ishmael and others are going to be limited if, if, uh, if we have Hunt throwing uh, to tight ends a ton. Yeah, I'm also not totally convinced that we don't fear Phillips that some run, runs out of the backfield. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up playing both. Uh, I just think the team is probably looking to uh, find the ways to get him the most possible touches and get him in space. Um, and the shift to, you know, we, we've seen guys who, you know, like Tavon Austin of West Virginia was a, was a receiver, but he rushed, at a, you know, he rushed a fair amount. So I, I, w- I don't know. I think with a guy like that, um, the team isn't going to move him to give him the ball less. So I'm not I, I I'm not overly concerned about that change of position. Although it's a little strange considering he was probably the most exciting back on the team last year. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Um, I guess wrapping up kind of the spring stuff. Um, Defensively, do you see any any of the incoming freshmen um, ready to jump in right away? I, I know on offense that there's a there's a good possibility that a lot of these freshmen um, are able to, to get them burned. But defensively, I, I think is where we were really going to see uh, maybe not more freshmen, but I think where we could see a lot more um, impact in terms of freshmen, um, if only because we do need a lot. Um, you need a lot of new faces and a lot of new blood quickly to prove um, that this group, that this, uh, you know, David has been strong despite uh, program struggles, um, you know, is going to stay at that high level. And I know I, I teased it out, uh, you know, about a week or two ago on the blog, but I do see this defense potentially being even better if, if we even see a slight uptick um, from the secondary. Um. Yeah, I mean, as far as the secondary goes, I think Blair is probably Marquise Blair is probably the most likely guy to make an impact just because how much we've heard about him. He's six three, one eighty, so he kind of has that Darrell Estridge type size already. Uh, I don't think he would start, but I wouldn't be shocked to see him come in um, for some, you know, the, the the staff formation packages and the and the nickel packages that we have, uh, especially if there's a you know big receiver flying up against. Um, I think Jake Picard on the line probably has the best chance of playing right away just because he's already, you know, a pretty good frame and, and, you know, is another really highly touted player. And we've seen this team be pretty effective when using a lot of different looks on the defensive line and, and different rushers to uh, kind of do the whole pass rush by committee rather than having one dominant guy. Uh, and then uh, this new guy, Ted Taylor, um, I don't know much about him. I haven't even had a chance to watch any of his film, but I don't think Syracuse would take him on if he didn't think he'd play, he could play right away. There's not a lot of sense in bringing a community college kid on if he can't contribute. So I'm going to believe in the staff on this one and, and say hopefully he's a guy who can at least give them some depth and, and some quality snaps on defense. Um, although, admittedly, I, I don't know much about him. There. And for me, I think that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of options. I, I'd love to see uh, to see Jake Picard be able to, to jump in and, and make some uh, make some impact early. But um, I, I think him and, and guys like Shai Cullen are ones that we're going to see 
um, later on in their careers. I mean, not later, later, but obviously I think 2016 is, is a better target um, for those guys. Uh, but I, I think in general, um, Marquise Blair, um, to me, seems like a perfect uh, kind of candidate to jump in, make a real impact. I mean, uh, admittedly, I was looking through uh, for another article uh, on Wednesday, uh, just kind of some real impact uh, freshman performances from players in football and basketball, so that that was far-reaching. But the one thing I noticed was there really wasn't a ton um, of impact from freshmen on the defensive end outside of uh, outside of Dijon Davis and his uh, freshman year. So I think I'd like to see uh, another name added to that list. I think Blair, um, again, given how much of a disaster the secondary has been, um, could really be uh, could be that guy. And, and without getting into all the uh, the Willy Wony qualify um, conversation. Yeah, I mean, obviously I, there are concerns about that, but I like to err on the side of hey, let's believe in the kid to qualify uh, before unless we hear something really concrete. So uh, as far as we know, he's going to be here. Um, so I, I don't love, you know, dra- even if it's not unfair, I don't love, like, overly worrying about the kid if there isn't anything to really worry about. Because um, then it kind of, like, I feel like it almost attaches a stigma to him. So right. hopefully he'll be here. Uh, we haven't heard anything about him not being here. And if he isn't, you know, hopefully this tech can – get him to Milford or wherever and uh, hang on to him. It's about a 50-50 shot, it seems like, when uh, they don't qualify. So, But if that happens, that'll be uh, we'll get to that bridge when we, when we have to, I guess. Agreed. And, and yeah, for, for what it's worth, like, any, anybody who ever has an, uh, a qualifying question, um, you know, you always want them to succeed and you always want them to win. And right now, you know, we don't know. I think Blair, as, as it stands, is part of the class, and I'm happy to have him. And and I hope that that remains the case. Um, it's funny because like, Blair's the one that they're. Oh, sorry. I, I was just saying there's like it seems yeah, yeah, like go, Blair's go the one. It. it seems like Blair's the one where there's like the most talk about it. Um, but it seems like every year there's like one or two, and half the time it's not anyone where there were whispers about. So, you know, it happens to every program. It's just one of those one of those things. But uh, hopefully everyone makes it. Um, I think last year didn't everyone – I think everyone, aside from Dawson, obviously has completely different issues. But I'm pretty sure everyone else qualified too. So maybe we'll – hopefully we'll have another uh, run of luck here with uh, in terms of grades. Agreed. Because before we uh, we jump into some bracketology stuff, uh, I don't know if you saw this article on Deadspin earlier from basically from Norm McDonald's Twitter that uh, – that Eddie Murphy was supposed to play uh, Bill Cosby in Celebrity Jeopardy and uh, reneged at the last second. Oh, Eddie. Why? Why? I, why? I saw whispers about that, but I haven't read the whole... I know Norm's been on, like, a giant tear, and I haven't had a chance to dive into that. Hopefully he doesn't uh, he doesn't delete it before everyone gets to read it, because I know Norm does do that occasionally. But uh, that would have been brilliant. I, enjoy, I really enjoyed the whole SNL 40. Uh, I'm a big SNL fan, so... That was a, a really fun watch, but, uh, yeah, that could have been epic. And it, I guess that kind of explains why Eddie Murphy's role was so kind of a little disappointing overall. Yeah, I think that's probably the weirdest element for me um, of the entire thing is that 
if you're going to bring Eddie Murphy back, um, you kind of need to have him make an impact. Uh, I mean, it, it just kind of rang true of what Eddie's done or, or hasn't done, um, you know, this last probably five to seven years at the very least. Um, and that's, again, putting it conservatively. Um, as, as a comedian and as an actor, I just, considering how funny he was, maybe he still is, um, it, it, it's very odd to see him kind of, you know, put in the shadows by, by a lot of other people who, frankly, uh, while they might not have the same raw talent, um, were just able to completely, again, overshadow him um, on that program. Um, and that's not even getting into people who were equally as talented, and there's like Chris Rock who absolutely killed it, um, even in their minimal time on stage. Yeah, and I, I've, you know, all the stuff I've read and listened to about the special since that it aired on Saturday, it does seem like they were kind of, you know, kowtowing to whatever Eddie wanted to do, and it turned out he didn't really want to do much. He was just kind of happy to, or just kind of willing to show up. So I don't know how much, you know, they could have convinced him to do, and, and maybe that was like the one big thing, and he just, fell, uh, you know, didn't feel. Uh, comfortable with it at the end, and obviously they have Keenan who they can plug in and do anything. So they had a contingency plan, but it is disappointing that his his uh, part of the night was so minimal when it was such a big deal that he was going to finally make it and be a part of the whole SNL community, um, like so many others have been great. No, I agree, and it's funny now looking at you know someone like because one of the biggest I think underlying issues for. Uh, SNL has always been, you know, how it involves um, African-American comedians, um, especially African-American women. And it was interesting to see uh, when some of the, you know, the four most notable uh, on the show, as far as tenure goes, you know, Tim Meadows, Chris Rock, um, Eddie Murphy, and Keenan, to see uh, Eddie Murphy be the be the least impactful on the night was definitely surprising to me. Yeah, even Darren Morris got to do the uh, News of the World, so even he he probably made more he had more jokes at least than Eddie Murphy. Um, but yeah, it was uh, I don't know. I guess it was like one of those things where you'd rather have him be there at all than than not show up because then it's kind of a, an awkward hole in the history of the show. But definitely could have gotten more out of him when everyone else seemed pretty game to do whatever. Agreed. All right, so that was our uh, that was our off-topic tangent for the night. And actually, uh, I feel like it's I feel like it worked. I feel like enough people care. I think we. I mean, twenty-three point whatever million people watch. So I hope there's some okay. crossover in the uh, SNL fan, Syracuse fan community. I have to imagine there's a little bit at least. I mean, I would imagine based on the fact that there is nothing to do in Syracuse on a Saturday night. Most oh. winter. <laughs> It's not, it hasn't been right. any better. I mean, it's been a little – it hasn't been to the negatives down here in New York, but uh, it hasn't been terribly better. And then I went to Charlotte this weekend, and it was in the 30s the whole weekend down there. So can't escape it on the East Coast. Yeah. yeah it was 78 in Vegas this weekend, and it's going to be hanging around the 70s pretty much for forever over here. Which, yeah, it's yeah. nice. 
except we're in a drought. So if that makes everybody feel better, so be it. Yep, I'm just hoping that this winter does end. I, I kind of feel like we're in a – at this point, I feel like we're almost in like a, a Game of Thrones situation where it's going to last like seven years. I mean, based on forecasts, it's, uh, everybody's getting nailed again this weekend, so could be the case. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll go away. It just might take a while. Yeah, this has been. I don't know. I feel like up in Syracuse, I never really had a huge problem with it, but this winter has just been absolutely brutal in terms of just sheer coldness. So, and then I know it's been really bad up there. So I hope everyone who's uh, heating, uh, lighting the fires, and the and and listening to our fine podcast as they try to brave the rest of this winter. Uh, where we feel for you. John doesn't really feel for you. John hates you, but uh, I feel for you. Go back here, too. Oh, I feel for you. I just I, I just can't empathize. <laughs> but yeah, um, on a lighter note, bracketology. Um, oh, right. That was what we were going to do. I knew I had a link to pull yeah. up, and I just totally forgot what, I was, what it was. <laughs> yeah, so bracketology, uh, you could take two... Uh, Two different facts, I think, when uh, when you're looking at this without Syracuse involved, um, you could either get really angry about it and, and pick make picks despite, or the way I do it is you could make picks despite and make picks just to laugh at what could possibly go down. Um, last week we saw me pick ten seeds and eight seeds to get to the Elite Eight. So this week, perhaps something else as surprising. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pick you all, you all Monroe to beat Kentucky, so take that. There you go. 16-1, what up? That would be the greatest result in, in history. I'm going to be honest, that whole, I mean, A, I hate that people, that Louisville is continually tossed in to the same bracket as Kentucky, but I actually think that Butler, Kentucky is a nightmare for the Wildcats. I actually think West Virginia could give him some trouble. Um, obviously, like, every time I think West Virginia is becoming, like, really legitimate, they go and lose to Baylor by, like, 30. But they look really good on some, you know, on a night-to-night basis. And then Michigan State at the nine, like, Michigan State's not very good this year. The fact they just crushed Michigan the other night doesn't mean much. Michigan's pretty bad. But you right. never want to see Michigan State in the NCAA tournament. No. No, I completely agree with that. And I agree the West Virginia thing. I mean, I saw I saw them play really well against Kansas. I also don't buy Kansas, but oh, um, totally I'll entertain fine. it here. I, yeah, I mean, West Virginia looked good there, and, and I just think they're not sure what they are. Um, I don't think as, – as good as the Big 12 is right now, um, I think the Big 12 is the Big 10 without Wisconsin, basically, in, in terms of uh, consistency – um, in terms of quality, I think the teams are too evenly matched. I don't think any of them are necessarily elite. I think most of the teams in the conference played laughable uh, non-conference schedules, and and that has kind of given us a, a ton of teams. They're all very good and all tournament-worthy, and I don't want to take away from them in that regard. But I think um, that what you're going to see come tournament time is going to be a couple of those teams that get um, – higher seeds than they, they may deserve. Um, some others might get lower. I mean, West Virginia, I think they're better than an eight, um, to be honest, and that could really, uh, that could really hurt 
Kentucky um, down the line, especially when you think being being on the same line as Kentucky means that if you're an eight, that you're the worst eight. Yeah. Um, I kind of agree with your, your Big 12 viewpoint. Um, I think they're a better team to cross the board than the Big Ten has this year, but with the Wisconsin thing is, is definitely true. I don't think there's a dominant Big 12 team. I think there are a lot of good teams. But Wisconsin is, is so far and away the best team in the Big Ten at this point that you know, they've kind of made that conference stand out where the rest of the conference is probably a little down from where it's been, uh, as opposed to the Big 12, which Kansas is still a two-seed somehow. Kansas is just – they're decent, but I just am totally unimpressed by them. I think Notre Dame's a better team. Um, I would probably flip-flop those two. But it's uh, – you know, I, there, is, there is something to having a uh, a good reputation. And I think that's – and there's just – the two lines pretty weak overall. I think uh, after Wisconsin – you know, Nova's had some bad losses. Arizona has probably underachieved a bit, and Kansas isn't that great. So, you know, this is kind of a, a weird a weird year in college basketball where usually usually you have at least, like, two or three good lines of teams, and this year you have, like, one, maybe maybe three-quarters of one. Yeah, I mean, to me, I think Duke could very well lose tonight, and that'll, I think, knock them off that top line. I never buy the Zags as a, as a top four seed. I just don't think they're there. Um, the records might not put it this way, but I do think that I'd be completely okay with um, Kentucky, Virginia, Wisconsin, and Utah um, as, as your four uh, your four one seeds. Um, and then I just put I put Virginia down in the south. Um, I put Wisconsin. Um, so I put Wisconsin over in the Midwest. I put Kentucky over in the East, and then I put Utah in the West. And, and I think you have a pretty solid one, two, three, four. That again, while the records might not always bear it out, um, I, I think those are probably your four best teams. And to me, they're probably the four best bets to make the Final Four uh, before you get into bracket talk. Yeah, and there are there are some other teams like. Um... I get hung up on Iowa State. Uh, I just feel like they're so talented, and then every like two weeks, I feel like they have, have a, every two or three weeks they have like a really bad loss. But uh, that's a team that I feel like is, is pretty good value for in terms of like a weird team making the Final Four. Uh, I think they're back up in the three line here, according to what Lenardi has. But every couple of weeks they just seem to have this, this really terrible loss in the Big Twelve that they shouldn't have, and then they just work their way back up and. That's like the one team in the Big 12 that I think has the talent to really break out and be like the the team of that conference, and they just they seem they're strangely consistent because like the last couple of years they've been good and they've been a pretty good bet. Uh, they just haven't been as good as Kansas, and now I feel like they should be better, and they they can't quite get over it. Yeah, I, I completely feel you there, and and I think that looking at at least the bracket that uh, Joe Lenardi breaks down, this. Uh, their lot here actually isn't bad. Um, I mean, SMU, Villanova, Indiana, sure, but but I still think Iowa State's probably the best team um, in the bottom half of that East bracket, and I think that they do stand a pretty good chance to beat um, a Virginia or a Maryland um, coming out of, of the top of the East. So not to skip ahead or, I guess, jump the shark a little bit here. But, uh, I mean, I, I, would, I would bet on Virginia, Iowa State, um, in, in the east, in this, if you're looking at this region, I 
bet on them in the uh, East Regional Final. With yeah, I, I just don't trust Villanova enough, and maybe part of that the fact that Syracuse should have beat Villanova, and we, you know, I think Syracuse is okay, but I don't think we're we're all that great. Um, and we've seen Villanova have some really bad losses this year. Uh, they just seem stuck to that two line, and I don't know. I think the team has a lot of talent, but I'm not sold on them, and uh, I don't really, I don't know. I'm, I think the Big East is a decent league, but I think that it's been a little overrated this year just because there aren't a lot of other great leagues in college basketball either. Right. No, I think that that's pretty accurate. And again, like it's weird. I don't like these seeds uh, for the most part. Um, I don't think anybody does. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if you read uh, Mark Titus's, um, you know, power 12 today. And he was talking about the mock selection process from the other day. Um, and the media went through, and the big issue was that, you know, he said Notre Dame almost got knocked off the, the, the top 16 slots for an Oklahoma team that has bad losses, that has more losses. Um, and and people, were, people were contradicting themselves and pretty much saying, oh, well, you know, this person, like this team has quality wins, and that's what put them ahead of Notre Dame, but Notre Dame has quality wins. Like, well, this team doesn't have any bad losses. Well, neither does Notre Dame. Like, that it was it was interesting to see like him go to bat and him not being like another name apologist at all him going to bat for the Fighting Irish really um, and, and wondering why in God's name people were were considering you know again putting Notre Dame as the worst four seed and potentially trying to make a case for them to drop down to five um, and if they did I, I'll be honest that they'd be one of the more dangerous five seeds I've I can recollect. Um, and, and whoever faced them and was in there, whatever one was in their bracket, I'd say would be on upset watch, um, despite the fact that uh, that my Braves teams are uh, are well documented as, you know, twenty chokers. Yeah, and that I, you know, we like to make fun of teams like that who do so poorly in the tournament, but like that shouldn't have any impact on how a team is seeded another year. It's totally unfair to do that. Uh, and Notre Dame. I could see them losing early, but I could also – I mean, would anyone be shocked if Jerry and Durant went on, like, a Temple Walker run? I wouldn't. Dude's awesome. Neither would I. I think that's spot on. Um, I guess with Notre Dame in mind, um, looking at the Midwest, and I think we kind of chatted through the East already, um, I want to pick Kentucky to lose, but I'm not going to. Um I'm going to go against my better judgment and go with Kentucky and Notre Dame in, in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to pick against Kentucky this early, although I do think West Virginia could beat them. I think Butler could beat them on a really good day. Louisville could, but I'm, I'm souring on them, especially because Kentucky probably has a little bit of a mental edge on them. Um, yep. In the south, uh, or in the, the, the bottom part of that region, not the south region, uh, obviously, Notre Dame is, is strong. I also kind of like Arkansas. I think they've kind of flown under the radar, and they play a, a tough style for people who don't see it often, um, that 40 minutes of hell. But UCLA uh, there, UCLA Illinois, to be honest. I mean, not Illinois, actually, as much as UCLA. But if they have to face a UCLA team coming off a playing game, that does seem like a dangerous game for them. That's true. UCLA's playing a little better as of late. Uh, they kind of just snuck into the tournament field, you know, when they were – kind of left for dead a couple of weeks ago, but um, any of those teams, I, I think this is an interesting region. Even Temple is, is kind of sneaky, and as much as I hate to say it, 
uh, Georgetown, um, they had occasionally lose in dramatic fashion, but Devontae Smith-Rivera is a, a really good guard, and he could beat teams by himself, kind of like Jerry and Grant Penn, uh, although not as often. So I, Kansas I'm just not a fan of. Um, but uh, there's a lot of teams I think that should do some damage. I think Notre Dame is probably the safest bet, just because we, we've probably seen them more than we've seen a lot of these other teams. But uh, I don't know. I could see a lot of these guys coming, stepping up and challenging and then uh, making for an interesting sweet 15 game for Kentucky. Early day game for Kentucky, I guess. Yeah. All right, so down to the south. Um, I think Duke can get past Ole Miss and Iowa. Uh, that's not going to be an issue. Um, I think Baylor presents problems. But it's it's weird to me because we, we say this about Duke so many times, and it holds true yet again. Um, Duke gets a gift um, with, with the way that this bracket sets up, if, if it actually sets up this way. Um, um, and I think Duke could easily get a pass um, to the Elite Eight, uh, where they very likely face Utah, um, and a very dangerous Utah team that I think would, in fact, beat them. Yeah. Um, the other team up up in the, the top part of that bracket I, I think is really interesting is Iona. Um, I could see Iona putting up like a 90 points against a Baylor defense that doesn't always know what it's doing in the zone. And then that, that that's just a really fun team to watch, and especially for those who missed the days where college basketball had points. Um, Baylor's also huge, and, and, you know, they could stop all over them. But that would be a really interesting uh, clash of styles, I think, in that 12-5. Um, but overall, I think this is a pretty – Decent uh, bet for Duke. Obviously, they're playing in Charlotte because Duke always plays, you know, near home for the first round. That's just mandated. Uh, Ole Miss, <laughs> I think, is decent, but um, I don't know. I, they 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 look decent, especially in that game that they really should have beat Kentucky in. But I'm never going to be sold on these SEC middling teams to do a lot of damage. Uh, Iowa's been up and down. Yeah, I kind of agree with Duke uh, from the top. Um, in the bottom, I like Utah a lot. Uh, I think Oklahoma State's coming on, but uh, I think Wisconsin is probably the most talented team, and uh, I think Wisconsin and Duke in a rematch would be really interesting. Um, obviously, Duke handled them uh, at the Cole Center, which is impressive, but uh, I don't know. It, Wisconsin has had you know a really nice season. They're they're going to win the Big Ten regular season, probably going away, but. Uh, I don't know. I just really like that team, how it's built for March. We saw we saw it last year. So I'd be rooting for them to knock off Duke, I think. But uh, it's tough because we've already seen those two teams play and, and Duke won pretty handily. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, like, I went with Utah, but I could easily go with Wisconsin. Um, I think with this bracket, is dangerous um, for everyone involved. Is I do really think that, that – Duke, Utah, and Wisconsin are uh, are probably three of the top six teams um, in the country, and, and to me, that's that I guess that's what's a little aggravating seeing this, like just seeing this bracket laid out this way, is, is that they would have to kind of knock each other off before the final four. Yeah, Utah, I think, is kind of an enigma for people because they they had a little bit of hype going into the season, but more as like a top twenty team. So now uh, right. I think the Pac-12 has been kind of a weird year, uh, league this year, and I don't think people quite know how to process them. 
Yeah, and I think, too, um, you know, in Pac-12 football, um, Oregon Oregon keeps people, and when USC's good, keeps people sticking around and watching those games dang up late. Um, when it comes to Pac-12 basketball, um, you know, unless it's a weekend game with Arizona, uh, or UCLA is a top-10 team, yeah, like, you, you, just everyone's going to bed um, before before these games wrap and just, you know, no one's really paying attention. I guess that's, you know, UCLA really is the key there. Um, Arizona's a draw, but at the end of the day, the Bruins are what's going to get national audiences tuning in to, uh, to the Pac-12 and only if other squads in the, in the conference are actually, uh, you know, living up to some standards. So, so that's the difficult thing here is, you know, for me, I also have a different perspective than most because I'm watching most of these games over dinner. Um, while others, it's really like kind of an afterthought. But yeah, I, I, I do hope that come uh, Western Sunday, those teams are split up a little bit. Yeah, it's also tough because like Pac-12 football, um, you know, not everyone will stay up for it, but those of us who do, I watch uh, about as much Pac-12 as I do ACC at this point. Uh, you know what you're getting. You know you're getting a lot of points. You know you see – uh, Washington State, Cal, and it's not because they're not good teams, but you could see records be broken because the two teams just play offense. Um, basketball, basketball, you just don't have that kind of like cohesive league identity like the football league does. If it was like sure. a run and gun league where teams are dropping 80, 90 points every game, it'd be a little different, but it doesn't seem a whole lot different than any other college basketball league in terms of the pace of play and the style. It's just kind of a a different, you know, it's an interesting mixture of teams, but none of them have really uh, a super attractive identity aside from Arizona when it's good. Yeah, I'd agree there. I think league identity is an interesting concept in uh, in college basketball and football. Again, like you said, there there are very clear league identities um, that ebb and flow, but for the most part, you know what you're getting when you're watching every league um, with basketball. Um, there isn't necessarily – I mean, the league identity for the ACC is largely low-scoring defense, except for the fact that, you know, Notre Dame scores a lot and Duke scores a lot and North Carolina scores a lot, and those are, like, three of the four or five best teams in the conference. Um, Ohio State um, and Wisconsin and the rest of the Big Ten teams, all of them, um, you know, incredibly defense-focused, and but at the same time, there's plenty of teams in the conference that – don't necessarily play defense, and anytime you see a Rutgers box score, um, you're going to see that that's readily apparent. Um, I, I think when you look at basketball, it's just it's it's much much different. I think the only time I've been able to to clearly point to a league identity in basketball, top to bottom, is really the old Big East, obviously, of just a, a rough and tumble, you know, kind of punch you in the mouth league uh, that every single team delivered the same type of performance every night. I feel like it was the, the identities were more easily definable a couple of years ago. Um, back when we had the old Big East, which was just a behemoth, the ACC was more of the up-tempo league, while the Big Ten was, you know, kind of the squad that probably isn't as fair now because I feel like the leagues have balanced out. Now I think the Big 12 probably has the best reputation in terms of, like, fun play. The SEC is just kind of, like, boring. It's just Kentucky and, and see if the field can beat them. Well, it's low quality. Yeah, it's just not great play. You have, like, I feel like the SEC basketball right now is, like, you have Kentucky, who's awesome, and then you have a bunch of teams trying to beat Kentucky, giving their best shot, and you have, like, one dude who 
will drop like 25 and put a stare into them while his teammates are just useless. Right. And the Pats all doesn't have like even the the slight cohesion of like the Big 12 or the Big 12, you know, these teams don't play a ton of defense and at least the games are probably more fun than your average, you know, Wake Forest Miami game. No, I think, I think that's spot on. I think that's actually something I hadn't even put together before now. But definitely a, a good thing to discuss and really kind of point to is, is maybe why the Pac-12 needs some help. Um, this brings us a nice segue to our last bracket. Um, the West, just like last time, I, uh, I'm i picking San Diego State to head to the Elite Eight. Um, the Zags, VCU, Oklahoma, SDSU plays enough defense that I think that um, the matchups fall right. Uh, this looks really good for them. I like Oklahoma a lot, but uh, Valpo is kind of scary for them on that 13 line. Um, I think down in the second half of the bracket, again, like Arizona looks like the clear best team, but at the same time, like if you told me Providence went on some miracle run and got the Elite Eight, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, I'm going to go with North Carolina. Uh, but that said, uh, I don't think there's much separating them from Arizona or Providence. Yeah, I, I like VCU a lot. Obviously, we've seen what they can do in the tournament. I think they're coming on pretty strong. Uh, I'm not open to Zaga. San Diego State, I'd, I'd normally be all about, but I, I feel like they don't have that, you know, Xavier Thames type uh, go-to guy. Um, I know they, they still lock people down on defense, but I, I still think you need a store that you can rely on. Um, admittedly, I haven't seen them as much as I have in years past. Oklahoma's a weird one. Like, I feel like they're kind of like all these other Big 12 teams where it seems like they're ready to kind of grab hold of the conference and then they lose to, like, TCU or Kansas State or something. Um, so I like VCU just because they play, you know, that that havoc defense, that teams that just drives people crazy. Uh, the bottom is really interesting. Like you said, uh, Providence has some interesting players. UNC is obviously – having a really nice performance in Duke right now, and it looks like they might pull uh, pull the upset here. Even Ohio State, um, you know, they're not a great team, but that's not as a good coach. They have some some good players. And D'Angelo Russell might be my favorite player to watch in the country. Uh, I could see him leading that team to a to an Elite Eight, a Sweet 16, just kind of on his, on his back. No, that's spot on. Um, all right, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, unless you had anything else to say, Dan, I think uh... – we covered a lot of tournaments. We covered a lot of spring practice, and uh, yeah, nice to nice to be having one of these uh, post game podcasts after a win. Um, yeah, it was it unlike was uh, because, uh, like normal. It was it was it was a nice nice change. I feel like we've had a lot of losses uh, in these post game podcasts, and this was a, this is definitely a good one. Um, big win for the team, and I. I I think it will help rejuvenate the fan base a little bit and get us, you know, excited for the uh, this season, how the season wraps up, and, and hopefully next year we'll, you know, be, be rearing ready to go back to the uh, the tournament. All things uh, knock on wood in terms of the NCAA and everything. I concur. All right. So with that, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for uh, tuning in to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. Um, be sure to subscribe, rate us, review us on Blog Talk, on iTunes, and we will see you next week. Go Orange. Go Orange.
At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. With 25% off all new and up to 70% off previously leased furnishings, do you really need a better reason to party? We don't think so. Come visit our new Court Furniture Clearance Center with more than 9,000 square feet of new and previously leased furniture and decor for your home and office. Sofas from $199.99, bedroom sets from $399.99, dining sets from $299.99, and more. Free food, prizes, and fun all weekend long at our Chantilly Court Furniture Clearance Center at 13946 Lee Jackson Memorial Highway or go online at courtclearancefurniture.com.